Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Please open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 19. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you are anything like me, there's one line in today's scripture that stands out most, because maybe you heard it on a street corner shouted at you. Maybe you read it in a tongue-in-cheek article on finance, or maybe it's been quoted to you by another pastor. The line I'm speaking of is, the love of money is the root of all evils. It makes me uncomfortable, because personally, I like money. I didn't grow up with a lot of money, so from where I stand, money looks like the root of all kinds of fun. It, it looks like the foundation for safety, 
a good education, a healthy lifestyle. I've seen money change lives. I've seen it remake churches. And walking down Madison Avenue, I've seen what money can do. So while I'm not in a loving relationship with money, I am willing to go on a second date. I'm willing to see if money likes me back. Because after all, money's a powerful tool. But when I read this scripture, I become uncomfortable. I become anxious. Because how much is too much? At what point does my liking money become a love of money? At what point am I playing with fire, with the root of all evil? I was raised in a context where money was hardly spoken about in church. And if it was, the preacher was very quick to make it a neutral topic. Wealth doesn't indicate that God loves you more or favors you. At the same time, you shouldn't be ashamed of your wealth, especially if you're using it to help the church. You can enjoy your money and continue to collect it, so long as the church gets its piece of the pie. But does that really make sense in light of this passage? If we, intelligent and discerning Presbyterians, investigate the text, is that a reasonable conclusion? Let's revisit it. Paul writes, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. In their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. As for those who, in the present age, are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. It seems to me that wealth cannot be neutral. It can serve flesh or it can serve God. Wealth is a tool that only does good when it is used to serve others. Close readers may notice that Paul's warnings about wealth are located in a larger argument about slavery. And this is by design. The, the message is clear. The love of money is just as evil and as insidious as slavery. We are to think of the two in parallel. Each dehumanizes and debases its captives. Each separates the person from their labor and values what they can give over their humanity. So at this point, I have two options. I can either say, I have a problem with money. My priorities are not straight. My desires are disordered. Or, and this is a much more common response, I can say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. My pastor growing up in the Bible Belt would often say his job on Sunday mornings is to convince his congregation they aren't really Christians, but they should become one. 
I feel like my job this morning is to convince some of you that, in fact, you are exactly who Paul had in mind when he wrote about the rich. And because we're blessed to have a diverse congregation, our economic diversity means that some of you are not who Paul had in mind. But I still think there is something here for everyone because we need each other. Paul's entire worldview and understanding of God is defined by Christ crucified. In the cross, we meet a savior of the world who is self-sacrificial and self-emptying ransom for our debt. The creator of the world left the perfection of heaven and died an innocent death so that we might be reconciled to him. The most powerful thing in the world forfeit its power to hang out with some sinners. I'm trying to paint a picture of how utterly absurd this is because it's the only way to explain how Paul understands wealth and money. Theologians call this twist in perspective, the transvaluation of values. It's where the last will be first and the first will be last. The meek will inherit the earth, and the poor will inherit the kingdom of God. Everything is flipped on its head. So if we adopt this perspective for a moment, what Paul is saying is that the rich are indebted to the poor. All the money these rich folks earn, its sole purpose is to give away to the poor. The poor are the managers or the bosses of the rich, and it is the poor who will determine who the deserving rich are, because for Paul, there is no deserving poor and undeserving poor. Rather, it is the rich who will be judged deserving or undeserving, and it is the poor who will pass judgment, as it is Jesus, the homeless teacher, who will preside over the decision. Finally, we are seeing things as they really are. Finally, we are adopting Paul's cruciform perspective where God is like a parent handing money to their child so that they can pay for the meal. This is the picture of how wealth works in the kingdom of God. St. Basil of Caesarea, a father of the church, wrote, The bread which you do not use is the bread of the hungry. The garment hanging in your wardrobe is the garment of him who is naked. The shoes that you do not wear are the shoes of the one who is barefoot. The money that you keep locked away is the money of the poor. The acts of charity that you do not perform are so many injustices that you commit. So when the rich hoard wealth, there is nothing neutral about it, because according to Paul, wealth is like gunpowder. It is a very powerful tool that can destroy you if you stockpile it. And sure, maybe some can handle it responsibly, but most who have a lot of it end up using it to make war. Luckily, recognizing that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil is only half of what Paul is teaching. Paul also offers an alternative view of what it means to be truly rich. He says, but as for you, man of God, shun all this, pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life that, to which you were called. Each one of us, when we committed our lives to Christ, accepted a calling. 
And this calling came from God. God said, I know you were doing this before. I know you thought your life was going in one direction, but now that we're together, things are going to change. You know all that money you've been saving, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you something so big that in order to hold it, you're going to have to drop all the money in your hands. But don't, don't worry. I'll take care of you. If you're like me, you don't like when God says this. Because we know what money does for us in this world, and we have no idea what God will do. You might feel like God is raining on your parade or taking away the things that make you happy punishing you for enjoying the fruits of your labor. I want to argue that God is like a parent offering us the greatest gift in the world, and we only want to play with the gift box. C.S. Lewis wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So now you may be asking, how do I live this out? How do I respond to the call that God has put on my life? How can I use the resources God has given me to live as Jesus wants me to live? And this is where things get tricky because... I can't just give you the three simple steps to a better you. I can't discern what the Holy Spirit is up to in your life. But like any good pastor, I can point you to some scripture. Matthew 25 says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is where the Christian life begins and ends. We use every resource God has given us to help our fellow man. God's call on our life slowly remakes us into the type of people more concerned with storing up things in heaven than here on earth. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, this is the currency of the kingdom of God. Paul reminds us that our calling is into the fullness of life. It is toward the consummation of what worldly wealth promises but cannot deliver. Our calling is toward the day when Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Where can wealth fit into this vision of life? How can money compare to the comfort of God? When pain is no more, what good will your fortune do you? When you are in the valley of the shadow of death and your eyes look up to meet your shepherd, who do you want leading you? When we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we are summing up the whole of Paul's view of wealth. While you normally hear this psalm at funerals, today we're going to finish by reading Psalm 23 over our lives. And I hope that this scripture will shape your prayers 
that it will slowly form you into someone a little more Christ-like. My prayer is that the comfort you find in these promises would come to replace the comfort you find in financial security and wealth. And through this scripture, you would encounter God in new and in deeper ways. So please look in your bulletin. I have Psalm 23 printed there. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and my staff. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup, my cold. Surely 